0: Hello and welcome to the story Forum podcast where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, and I'm the soul care pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church. And very simply, this podcast exists as a container of sorts uh, for the stories of our church. And each week I will interview a member of Fellowship Bible Church and delve into the contours of their unique story. This week I have as my guest my good friend and brother and fellowship member Dan Lancaster. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Have you ever done a podcast before? This is my first one. Oh, first one. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us, Mm -hmm. Dan. You have such an interesting story, and it's been a privilege over the years to um, to get to know you. And so I know that uh, there will be many that will find your story, uh, like me, very, very interesting. But before we would launch into getting to know Dan, I want to take just a few moments to talk about some of the work that Dan's a part of. Uh, Dan is a missionary and an author. He holds a PhD. He's planted two churches in America and trained over 5,000 people in Southeast Asia as as a uh, strategy coordinator with the International Mission Board. He has served as a Assistant Vice President for uh, University Ministries at Union University here in Jackson, and he currently serves as a missionary uh, worldwide through Cornerstone International. Dan has four grown children and still one grandson, is that right? One grandson. One grandson. Dan, that is a stellar resume. <laughs> You've had a lot of experience. Only by God's grace. Well, <laughs> only by God's grace. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing a little bit more about your story. That's related to a little bit of the experience that we talked about. So, you're a missionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about the pathway that led you to the mission field. Did you know early on in your life that you wanted to be a missionary? Was that something that evolved? Tell me a little bit of the story about what led you to the place that you said, we're going to go to a foreign country and be missionaries? I, was, I wasn't I was raised in a
1: Christian home, and I was saved when I was 14. And God called me into the ministry when I was 15. And part of the experience of being called into the ministry is we had gone on a mission trip. This was in Texas, and we had gone down to the border uh, for a week-long mission trip. And when I came back from that mission trip, I sensed the Lord calling me into the ministry. And I was just a teenager. I didn't really understand. I remember when he called me, I said, Lord, I'm too shy to talk in front of a group. I think you have the wrong person. And uh, he said, well, I'll take care of that, which uh, he did. But uh, so that was kind of the start. I, I look back now, and I realize the Lord was calling me to missions then. But not having grown up in a Christian home, not having much of a context of what was going on, uh, I, I didn't totally understand that. I was discipled by my youth pastor, who's a godly, wonderful man. I still have a wonderful relationship with him today, mm-hmm. and um, so and became a leader in the youth group. And we went on mission trips every year. Those were always my favorite thing to do. Uh, I was offered a piano scholarship to go to the University of Texas for a summer my junior year. And I declined it just so I could go on the mission trip. Mm -hmm. So, it was something that was really, really important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went to Baylor University there in Waco, Texas. And my freshman year is when the Lord really called me into... Um, he he gave me a vision of, of missions that has never ceased. Mm. And so, I thought, uh, because I had met Holly, my, wife, uh, my wife-to-be by that time, and she also felt called to missions. And so, you know, we kind of thought we were going to get married. We were going to go with the International Mission Board as a young couple. We were going to go overseas, you know, and we were going to start the whole process. And it just never happened. We would meet with them, they would interview us, they would be excited about us. And and then, for a variety of reasons, maybe we had just started a position at a church and they wanted us to be there two years, okay. uh, or one of the churches we were at. I was the youth pastor, but it, it kind of went through a split because of the pastor, but I couldn't use them as so it was just like that over and over again. I remember one time Holly and I said, Okay, now's the time. And of course, then we started having kids, and uh, and we were getting concerned because the kids were starting to get older and all of this kind of thing. So, um, but the Lord just so what what we felt like the Lord was saying is, you don't need to be a missionary overseas. You can be a missionary here. Mm -hmm. And so, that's why we became church planters. And both churches were there to to reach lost people, to reach the people who weren't being reached at all. And we felt like we were missionaries. I I remember when we drove into Louisville, Texas, which was our second church plant. Mm -hmm. When we went into the city limits, we saw the city limits si- uh, sign. Holly and I both looked at each other and said, okay, we're in our mission field. Mm-hmm. And so we had that sense. And I, I think that's a very tr- true thing, by the way. I don't think missions is only something that happens overseas. Mm-hmm. I think we were
0: missionaries before we went to Burma. Sure, sure. What did, what did the missionary... Um, Outlook or the, the, the missionary philosophy or that work look like in Texas?
1: Well, I think that the heart of an apostolic called person mm-hmm. is to not build on the foundation of another.
0: Okay. Yeah, And
1: so, we were always the most concerned about all of the people who were not reached. Right. And this... I hope it doesn't sound mean, but we weren't too excited when Christians came to our church. No, I understand that. You know, right. When we were the most excited when non-Christians did. Hmm. And uh, so that's, I think, kind of what it looks like in a way. Hmm. We, Of course, we had Christians and we had a team and we had believers that surrounded us and prayed with us and prayed for us and could not have done any of it without them. Hmm. But they had that same heartbeat. Right. The most exciting thing was not that like a disgruntled Christian had come, or even somebody who had moved from out of town into the town had come, and they wanted to come to our church. The most exciting thing was when it was a
0: lost person. Yes, And probably most people would assume, well, Texas is a very conservative uh, state, uh, probably tons of churches all over, but... There is a lostness, absolutely, within uh, the, the Bible Belt. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, our experience
1: in both the churches that we started was there were more lost people than you could shake a stick at. Yes. You know, it, everyone kind of had this idea that because it was the Bible Belt... That there, everyone knew about God, but we had so many people who who came who had never opened a Bible. Wow. had only come to church at weddings and funerals. Maybe um, didn't have any idea. In fact, uh, to the point where I would, we had a, a Bible that we would give everybody, and I told people what page number. To turn they to didn't know the books, they didn't know the books. They didn't know any of that. And, but
0: that's exciting. How would you build bridges to those lost individuals?
1: Well, it, it's relationships. Right. It's being healthy, mm-hmm. as you know, as much as we can. <laughs> um,
0: being a con- missionary where God has placed you. And, yeah, just uh,
1: connecting with them. Mm-hmm. Just. Um, Praying for them. One thing that I've discovered throughout my ministry is I think one of the most powerful things in ministry is prayer. Mm-hmm. And so, I I loved to talk to a lost, pe- lost people and then, you know, toward the middle or the end of the conversation say, well, you know, I just love to pray for people. How can I pray for you and your family? And actually write down what they said and then... Pray for them, and then get back with them later. You know, we did that on the mission field, and uh, it was amazing. Some of the testimonies that would come out of Mm. God—God answered your prayer. Tell me more about this God.
0: Wow. And and I would suspect most people were probably pretty open to saying, "Sure, pray for me."
1: I have—I haven't ever had somebody tell me no. No. Wow. I have never had somebody Mm. tell me no. Now, I'm, I'm sure there are probably people out there, and I may have somebody tomorrow. <laughs> yes. But I, I think most people, even if they don't believe in God, mm-hmm. they have the attitude, well, nothing else is working for me. Yes. Maybe
0: maybe there is something to this, yes. and if there is, I'll try it kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and, and so it's really the heartbeat of relationships, people, intentionality. Right. Um I want to get to know these people and mm-hmm. invest in them. They're not projects, they're people. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to engage them in that way. We're going to love them and we're going to pray for them. It doesn't sound like a real complicated thing, but that that's a those are powerful means that God uses to uh, open up doors for evangelism. It is, yeah. And I
1: think, from my perspective, I think, the biggest mistake a lot of us make is uh, we, we expect people to become like us. Uh, but Jesus became like people. Yes. And Paul said, You know, I became every, anything. All things in, to all men. All things to all right. men. And there's nothing that says, I love you or I care about you or I want to have a real relationship with you like talking to somebody about how they do things. And sometimes deciding, you know what, the way they do it's kind of better the way I do yes. it, uh, you know, and so I we experienced that so much in Southeast Asia yes. culture. Yes, there was a lot of good things going on there, and we kind of adapted those.
0: For our family, even tell us a little bit about the transition. So you're you're a church planner. You're feel called to be um, a missionary. Uh, God gave you a mission field in Texas. Mm -hmm. You saw fruit from that from relational evangelism, Um, but then at some point there was a a move to Burma. How, How? What was the the journey there? Well, in the second church that we started.
1: I contracted a disease called ankylosing spondylitis which is in the rheumatoid arthritis family and it's uh, arthritis rheumatoid arthritis of the spine <clears throat> the hip joints and the rib cage and so about 6 months after we had started that church I uh, for a lot of men who get this disease it spikes at about 35 years old, which is what I was. And it spiked for me. I had known for a while there was something not quite right, but doctors had never really been able to pinpoint it. But then, actually, it took them a year and a half to pinpoint it even then. But um, so, here we were starting this second church. It was actually the sponsor church was my home church. And the sponsor pastor was the pastor who had led me to the Lord. So, I was feeling quite a bit of, uh, I deal with performance issues, so I was dealing with the stress of all of that, and I'm sure that didn't help anything. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was bad. And so, it, it was so bad that I could only work about an hour and a half a day. Wow. But what happened because of that in that second church is I would meet with key leaders at lunch, That was my hour and a half lunch. And I would basically, you know, we would talk, we would pray together, and then I would write things on a napkin, and they would go off and do it. And um, that's actually what missionaries do. Uh, (laughs) That's what missionaries do all day long. uh And I had no idea I was being trained to do that. But then I also had to learn how to multiply and work through other people, again, another very much a missionary thing. Mm-hmm. And that church was, was a strong, uh, growing, vibrant church, some amazing people in that church. Um, and I, I just, to this day, have such fond memories of that time, even though for me, I was in so much pain and on so much medication and so sick and Holly was afraid I was dying Mm. and I was actually afraid I was dying and so um, in the midst of that they finally kind of decided what I had I had AS and they put me on uh, medicine that changed our night into day Uh it was one of the biotic medicines kind of like Humira is now and it changed our night in today. I, I was still weak. I still had to be careful. But I wasn't dealing with the amount of fatigue and the pain that I had in the past. Okay. So, when all of that kind of went down, I was still going to mission conferences. I was still speaking at different places. And I would just spend half of the time just weeping, thinking, God, there's no way I can go to the mission field now. There's no way I can go overseas. And we had always felt called to do that. When we found the medicine, I guess, long story short, recontacted contacted the International Mission Board. They said, well, we can get you that medicine overseas. If you'd like to go, uh, we can send you, you know. And we went through the process, and, and, and we were sent to Burma. Mm.
0: Did you have a choice in where you were sent? Or did they say, we're going to send you?
1: I had gone with a good friend of mine. I had gone on a vision trip with 50 other pastors from all over America okay. to Southeast Asia. Okay. And we landed in Bangkok, Thailand. And as soon as I got off the plane, God said, you're home. Mm. What did you see? What what struck you? I I was still in the... Plane terminal. I nothing. Right, right. right. You just. <laughs> but I just God's clearly heard him say, "This You're is your home. This is where I want you. Where I want you." Mm-hmm. So we were there for two weeks. My friend, who had been a missionary in China, really wanted Holly and I to go to China. Okay. So we left the rest of the group after two weeks when they went home, and we went into China for a, uh, and met you know a lot of different uh, M's there. We call them M's because. You can't use that word, ah, in
0: uh, Southeast
1: Asia. Yeah, actually, you can't use it in Burma or in China. Oh, interesting. They're very I similar. Yeah. So, I met a lot of M's and um, came back, and I I had called Holly on the phone that night after I stepped off the plane, and I said, "You'll never, n- you'll never believe what the Lord told me when I stepped off the plane." She said, "I already know." Ah. Uh. So, that was a neat confirmation as well.
0: He was working through her. He was working through her. her.
1: So, the way we ended up in Burma then is got in contact with the area director for Southeast Asia. I said, Steve, uh, give me 10 unreached people groups where no one's working because we don't want to build on anyone else's foundation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll pray over those 10 and and so, that's what he did. He sent us kind of a dossier on 10 different people groups throughout Southeast Asia. We looked through those, and it was kind of funny because I had all of them laid out on the kitchen table. And so, Holly's going through for the first time reading them, and she says, well, I don't know which one of these it is, but I know for sure it's not this one in Burma. Mm. That was the only one in Burma. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, I remember praying that night, Lord, if you want us to go to Burma, because I think that's what you told me. I'm not going to touch this with a ten foot pole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're going to have to tell my wife. Mm-hmm. So about, oh, I guess a week and a half or two weeks later, you know, we've been praying, we've been talking through them, and she said, I've got to admit. I think the Lord may be saying we're supposed to go to Burma. Mm. And so, we talked about that. So, that's how we ended up there. Uh, You couldn't create anything there. You couldn't uh, go in as a missionary. It was illegal. So, I went in as an English teacher. We sold almost all of our material possessions, packed what we had left in 17 suitcases and With an 11 year old, nine year old, seven year old, and four year old. Hmm.
0: uh, Left for. It's called Myanmar now, but it used to be called Burma. What was the culture like? What did you see when you first got there? What what was the overwhelming need?
1: Well, it's Buddhist, it's a third world country now. Uh, 50 years ago, it was the most. It was the richest Southeast Asian country. But with political corruption and lots of lots of problems uh, now it 's one of the worst. Their medical system is broken down their education system is broken down e- everything 's just broken down uh, and everyone uh, it's, it 's in some ways much like china you 're afraid that your neighbors are going to re- report on you and um, I met a man who had been thrown in jail just because he was a Christian and tortured for 12 years, and he had lost his mind. It was just such a dear, sweet time with him, because here was this brother who, he had lost his mind pretty much, but the fact that he was talking to a missionary was really important to him, and I just held his hand, and we just shared and talked the best we could you know, but that was not an unusual thing. Mm -hmm. And we weren't ever really concerned about ourselves, but we were really concerned about the Burmese people that were helping and working with us.
0: And you were in an area that was fairly poverty stricken.
1: Well, the whole country is really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Whenever you get out of the big cities, it was like, uh, not quite, but almost like some of those World War II concentration camp things that you see people are just so skinny Hmm. uh, so gaunt and the the price of rice could just vary like five cents and people would start dying because they couldn't afford to to buy any more rice and they were already so you know so gaunt and it was a lot of persecution i was followed by the police uh, secret police all the time um, we were always concerned about getting on the blacklist. They made us leave every 10 weeks with our whole family. and had to be gone for a week and then come back in. Uh, so every 10 weeks, we had to pack up the house and get it ready in case we didn't ever get to come back. And uh, electricity, 12 hours a day. You just didn't know which 12 hours it was going to be. Mm. And, of course, could only drink bottled water. And uh, some really, uh, some of our, uh, uh, there's some of the biggest, um, uh, how should I say, there, I had some men who were working with me, who I was discipling, who are dear, dear friends to this day. And uh, after a mission trip, when a church came in and, and, and wasn't very culturally sensitive, These guys were taken in and interrogated and beat for three hours at the local police station. Wow! Wow. And just dear, dear friends. And then another group of 40 evangelists that a friend of mine was working with, they were all imprisoned. They're in their 50s and 60s evangelists. They'd gone up into the mountains preaching the gospel. Whole villages were coming to Christ. The government locked them up, and then uh, one of them later, I talked to him. He came to my friend's apartment and said, I could take them yelling at me. I could take them screaming, even when they were hitting me. But when they started putting their cigarettes in between my toes, wow. I just passed out. My goodness. So that was kind of the dynamic. There were Every uh, major intersection had machine gun soldiers uh, on it. My wife went to a store regularly that was bombed 30 minutes after she left, and everyone in it was killed. It was just, it was very intense. Yes. Yes. But in the midst of that, God did some amazing things, too.
0: What can we learn as Westerners from, from an experience like that? What are some things that you... Uh, for, for for an outsider looking in what are things that we could grow from or be challenged with yeah
1: i i think mm, there of course there are a lot of different kinds of missionaries. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of break them up into three or four groups. One group was we 're coming from America. We know the best way to do everything. Listen to us. Mm-hmm. They usually went home pretty quick right because that that doesn 't really work Mm-mm. There was another group uh, who came to America and it came and, and they would be like, "We know best, we know well, but and we 're going to listen to you and we 're going to try to find." A way we can blend what we have and what you do, and 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 do that, and uh, and they they could stay a pretty long time, but uh, whatever church or group or whatever they were working with, it was always pretty stunted. It didn't uh, didn't thrive. Didn't thrive. I had a missionary who tried to grow Texas tomatoes in Thailand. Oh, never could make it work. <laughs> Because <laughs> Texas tomatoes don't, right. wor- that's a, that's don't grow That's a picture. In- that yeah. is a picture. He, he finally, uh, he took all the soil out of the bed and boiled it all to kill everything in it, put the soil back in. And of course, without any organisms, I mean, nothing grew that year. But but that's that can be a, a parable, mm-hmm. you know um so the the missionaries that the Lord seemed to to bless and had the the most impact on the culture were those who said, um, Our way is not the best way right god 's way is, and we don 't know what god 's way for you is because you have a different culture than ours, so we 're just going to be learners
0: we 're going to ask
1: lots of questions, and as best we can, we just want to be here to help you. See the kingdom of God come to your culture in a way that
0: yes. is you. Yes, missions is filled with the first category. Yeah, it is uh, it of is. of Westerners coming and saying we know best, or Westerners coming with the S on their chest, right? Gonna gonna fix it. And there's a lot that we can learn for cross-cultural ministry, even here in the U.S. of uh-huh that posture of we're learning um, and we're going to take the the posture of humility. Yeah. So, and I think there's fruitfulness. It seems to be there's fruitfulness to that.
1: Well, yeah, I remember Holly and I had a a few observations when we were on the plane Mm. heading back. Mm -hmm. We were on the mission field for 12 years Mm -hmm. and... We were looking at each other and said, well, what did we learn uh-huh. over 12 years, uh-huh. you know? And one of the things that we talked about was what I just talked about, that being a learner, being humble, and being kind of a conduit of the grace of God for people is a beautiful thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I, I talked this morning for an hour and a half to our house church network leader, over in Myanmar, I do every week. Hmm. I met him seventeen years ago. We're dear deep friends, hmm. and uh, and 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 we've long lost the time of him me being the conduit of grace, like only to him. Right? It's it's such a two way. It's thing a mutuality now. now. It's a which mutuality. Is the, now.
0: Which is really the best. and
1: that's where real. I, I think that's what the Lord wants. That's right. where his kingdom really happens. Yes. The second thing that we discussed was, I think the Lord was a whole lot more concerned about developing his the image of his son in us than anything we ever did. <laughs> mm. Gosh, that's so important. yeah, and it's so, so true yes yeah. you know he he was He sent us over there
0: to work on us, right. Not for us to work on other oh, people. It's, yes. If, <laughs> if only we could learn that lesson. I know. I know, I know. It would free us to actually rest and relax with um, when life doesn't work out the way we expect right. or dreams are shattered right to know God's greater agenda is exactly what you said I'm going to form you to the image of my son and that's his that's his most important work and that's the best place to right. be anyway right. right yeah i want to shift just for a few minutes this has been a rich conversation and i i want to have you back to have a more full conversation about our next topic but i want to i want to give you an opportunity to just talk uh, a little bit about Uh, not only your work as a missionary, but you're also an author. right? Uh, How many books have you written? Fourteen. Fourteen books. Mm -hmm. One of your more recent books is a book on shame. What's the title? It's called
1: Shame is a Liar. Shame is a Liar. It's the second in a series. I call it my Liar series. Okay. Uh, This series is going to have, the first one was Fear is a Liar. Uh, The second one I just, last week came out, is Shame is a Liar. Mm -hmm. The next one is going to be death is a liar, and then the fourth one is going to be Satan is a liar. Wow! What a
0: what a great concept.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. Well, kind of fun to write those books, right? Because my books are very personal Mm -hmm. and uh, soul searching, Mm -hmm. and they don't. I I I think some of the things that I hear from people in the reviews is they appreciate there's no fluff, Mm -hmm. but that they're honest. But they're also helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those kind of things don't come out of just kind of walking down the street. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Those con- those come out of real
0: life experiences. So, why the book on shame? Um. That's all right. We're laid back here. We okay. can we can use a <laughs> straw and drink. I can get a drink. It's all good. Yeah.
1: Um. Well, the fear book came about because uh, I lost Holly to ovarian cancer uh, four and a half years ago, and part of my journey, my grieving process, is I realized that a lot of my, a lot of the fear in our family had been delegated mm. to her. She worried about the kids Mm -hmm. so i didn't have to worry about the kids because i knew somebody was worrying about the kids right well all of a sudden when holly uh, you know she's with the lord now of course she's not worrying about anything um i found myself worrying and anxious and fearful and of course losing holly what's the rest of my life going to be and Lord, what do you want me to do, and what's happening here? This wasn't in the plans, and so many opportunities for fears. And I, I didn't do real well with that the first uh, year or so. Um, started getting a little bit of more of a handle on it, maybe uh, the next year. Then I felt like the Lord really began to, to help me the year after that, and it was actually writing Fear is a Liar, and that I processed through all of that, and I was able to come up with a way that really helped me. And I thought, well, if this really helps me, I think it'll really help other people. And sure enough, you know, again, I, I think that has happened. So when I finished that, I, I, it kind of dawned on me that the Lord might be up to something here. Mm. He might be taking aspects of my life. That he wanted to conform more to the image of his son, mm-hmm. and having me write about him and the struggles that I had had, but also the victories that I'd had, right. and uh, and the questions I still have, and in a, in a way maybe that in a in a simple practical uh, way that the people could really resonate and say, "Hey, that yeah, I've been there. i that's me," right. and then. As I've found rock-solid kind of uh, disciplines or a plan, I you might even say, of kind of how to deal with some of those um, that have been super helpful to me in my journey. Well, I, I just wanted to get the uh, – because all of my books kind of have that about them. I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. I just want to help. Right and uh, I realized uh, everybody needs help in this area, but there are a lot of people who do, mm-hmm. and I was one of those, and I am one of those, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so Shane was was the next on the agenda, and the death is a liar book will be uh, about dealing with grief and death and the reality of heaven and things I've learned through that journey. Mm-hmm. And then I guess, as I was doing work on shame, I, I realized that I had had several high-functioning narcissists in my life over the years. One of them being uh, my father, mm-hmm. and uh, and once I started, I got my mind around that. I started having some real victory in that area, which had always been very confusing. And I'd always blame myself and all of these things that people who deal with narcissists deal with. Well, it struck me Satan's the greatest narcissist of all time. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> so Satan is a liar. The the working title in that, Satan is a liar, how to overcome the greatest narcissist of all time. Ah,
0: uh, what a great title.
1: Yeah. So again though, I, I I'm I just always thrilled when I here' somebody else who's gotten one of my books and right. has helped them, and right. um, it's been a blessing to them. And I get emails from people, well, I, you know, I got five of my girlfriends together. We're reading your book, you know, or something like that. That's, uh, um, and I still deal with ongoing illness, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm not able to be as active as other people my age are. And so I just thank God for this outlet of ministry. Kind of the, the pen has become my pulpit kind yes, of thing. Yes, And uh, yes. yeah, so it's it's been a beautiful thing. Right. It's been a good.
0: Right. Dan, we could go on for uh, all day. Probably I mean, so. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we could go on for all day. Uh, I, I want you to make a commitment to come back to the podcast. I'll be glad and, to and uh and talk deeper about the the, the series, the fear series to mm-hmm. the uh, uh I think that that's a worthy conversation. We just touched on uh the, the scratch the surface uh, on that conversation. You're a blessing to me. Uh very quickly, we became friends and brothers, and I think we resonate with the same way mm, of life and, yeah. and the world. And uh, every conversation with you uh, is an enriching conversation for me. And uh, I feel the same. It, it brings way, me uh, yeah. great joy to to have you uh, as a friend. And I believe uh, this podcast will be helpful for uh, for our body and. I am very grateful that the Lord brought you to Fellowship Bible Church Mm -hmm. uh, because you're an immense uh, wealth of experience and resource.
1: Thanks, brother. Well, it's a blessing to me. I think I'm more blessed than Mm -hmm. you guys are. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thanks for uh, being on the podcast, and we look forward to talking to you in the future soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan.